Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host for this Best of Nashville Restaurant Radio episode. Today, we are going to hear snippets from our episode with Chef Andy Little from Josephine. We're going to talk uh, to Sylvia Ganyer, who is the CFO, the Chief Farm Officer at Green Door Gourmet. We're going to hear from Tom Morales, as well as Alex Ballou. And I'm going to tell you, this is a really really fun episode today. I have enjoyed listening back to these episodes. I apologize. While this episode is going to be like 30 minutes long, it's going to cost you like four hours because you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to the entire episode from Andy Little. That is is one of my absolute favorite episodes and it's probably one of the most referenced conversations that I'm going to play here. We talk about him filming his, his team doing game tape uh, that I talk about in most most episodes with chefs because uh, I'm just so impressed. And then um, you're going to want to go listen to Sylvia again. Your Tom Morales, his stories are second to none. He tells the story here. We're going to talk about his story of starting Tomcats and what uh, what that was like. And then Alex Ballou talks about his famous Facebook post that he did, uh, his passionate plea. So we thank you for listening today. Thank you for the best of. Let us know what you think on Facebook and Instagram. And we're going to jump right in today with Tom Morales. This episode was from May the 20th. And I was so excited when Tom said that he would come on the show because obviously it's Tom Morales. And the guy is just a, is a legend in this town. And um, his stories were so epic. But this particular story um, was one where he told the story of how he started started uh, with Tomcats, how he started the, the the whole movie business, how he got his first food truck, his mobile kitchen, as he calls it, and uh, his storytelling is just out of this world. So without further ado, let's jump right in with Mr. Tom Morales. Uh, uh, a little movie came to town, and they, I say, called me for an interview, so I went to interview him, and the last question they asked me was, uh, do you have a mobile kitchen? Well, I had never heard those two words together in my life, but I knew the answer. And of course I said, yes, of course. course. Yeah. Well, I immediately left and the don't call us. We'll call you is, you know, the typical answer that they give you when you leave and or statement. So, so I call my sister immediately who lives in LA and you got to remember this is 1987 or 88 and there's no internet. And and so I said, what's a mobile kitchen? She said, well, it's because she worked on movies. She's a set decorator. And Leslie said, well, it's like a Winnebago with a kitchen in it. And I said, Oh gosh, I said, send me an LA times so I could look in the classified section. So, you know, she sent me, FedEx, which did exist, and I, I found one in Phoenix, Arizona, and it was a – anyway, so they called me back, and they said, hey, you got the job. Uh, we start, uh, I think, like it was in August, and it, I said, well, I can't block off my summer if you're not going to give me a deposit because I needed the money to buy the mobile kitchen. <laughs> yeah, you got to put a – you said a third of it down, right? Yeah, so I I, I said – how they said, how much you need? I said $10,000, and they said – 
I thought they were going to laugh me out of the room. That seemed like a lot of money to me. And they said, no problem. Wrote me a check. I got, I got on an airplane, uh, got off the airplane. I can say this Morales, but, but a little Mexican guy meets me and, and he leads me over to this taco truck. It's Ricky Ricardo's chili express. And I'm saying, Oh my God, I bought a taco truck. I had about three and a half days to get back to Nashville driving the thing to, to, to figure out what I was going to tell my wife that we just spent <laughs> our life savings on the mobile kitchen. And uh, so anyway, we got Lowe's exterior white paint and painted over the Mexican and uh, the, the name. And then I had a little guy, I can't remember his last first name, maybe Frank's, I don't want to say Frank Stallworth, but he was 16 years old. He's an artist. And I said, Hey, you got to come up with a hip looking cat. Because we're, you know, we, we've got to paint this. We're going to start next week, the, the movie. So he came up with my logo in about 25 minutes. And, and it's funny because as, as, our, as our reputation grew, our logo was, the T-shirt was the most wanted thing. Everybody wanted a Tomcat T-shirt. I can remember Billy Crystal coming up to me humbly on City Slickers saying, can you give me like three or four more of your T-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> So it was always a, a fun thing. But, you know, we started with a little movie. And uh funny story about the mobile kitchen is I had read the Fred Smith story with uh about FedEx. FedEx. Yeah, without a, without an airplane plane. He had a he had software that he used at Eastern Airlines to deliver packages. And, and so he rented an airplane, actually, and uh, used that to. Uh, convinced people he, he filmed a tv commercial a 30 second commercial and uh used that to um, film the commercial convince people, yeah convince people that he had a fleet of airplanes so i put mobile kitchen number three on my <laughs> on my truck to convince people that i had three trucks which uh eventually i did have but that little but movie, that's that's uh, brilliant though well, that little movie led to another little movie, which led to another little movie, which led to Prince of Tides, which led to uh, A League of Their Own, which led to Groundhog Day, which led to What About Bob, which, you know, it was just one little movie. And the producers move around. So the relationship we built was like, uh, you know, it, it, it fractured out. I mean, one you might have three producers and they'd all go do three different movies. So it was uh it was quite the time and i mean 3000 movies later we just finished one in budapest wow we did terminator last year in in madrid spain and budapest and we just finished a netflix movie right before covid hit uh so and we were supposed to do the peter jackson movie that's coming up but uh, that's on hold too so i don't know how that that world is going to reemerge either i love that story and i love the aspect of you were talking about Running kitchens on movie sets, as you've said, is the NFL of working in kitchens. It's NFL food service. There's no doubt. Your kitchen moves every day, sometimes twice a day. I'm, I, I Coupe de Ville, which was one of our first big movies, and and it, it moved two and three times a day. I, I learned never to take a, a movie that had a car for a name. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Because it was, it was like, oh my god! They get a scene, and then we move forty miles down the road and set up again. And and if anybody's been around the the kitchen setup, it's you know, with what we do, we're the maitre d, we're the dishwasher, we're the cook, we're we're the uh, you know, we have to be well read. We have to know if a star comes up. I can remember Jodie Foster coming up and asking me one day, 
have you read this book? And I said, Oh yeah, actually I have. And she was blown away, you know, and then we started talking about it and, and it was, that's how you, you know, it is the NFL food service. You have to be well-read. You have to know all the culinary buzzwords and, and you have to know every aspect of, of how a kitchen runs. Plus you have to be a mechanic because you're, you're dealing with heavy equipment. So uh, there's just a, there's a lot more going into it. When you wake up in the morning, you know where your restaurant is. You're, you know, you're three quarters ahead of the game. Well, I think that it's in the innovation that you had to create. I mean, you've talked about the aspect of how fast you were able to put production in and how you were innovative based upon being an entrepreneur and the fact that you just did what you thought you had to do. And you started putting food out so fast that the producers were going, Hey, wait, this guy's saving us a ton of money. And it's now kind of just the way that you operated has now kind of become the industry standard. Well, we, we innovated through ignorance, really. We, we did not know how it was done. So we tried to do it the right way. And I was three years into it and a league of their own and, uh, Bobby Greenhut and Joe Hartwick, who's Joe is still head of uh, Fox, the film division. He's about to retire, but he, they came up to me and said, you're feeding everybody in 15 minutes. And I, I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> I said, am I in trouble? <laughs> and they said, no, but what was happening, we had 1,500 people. And so every time we got 150 people, we'd set up another two-sided buffet. And, and they were identical. The food on both buffets were the same. So on a league of their own, we would have 10 identical buffet set up and and they would uh you know come through and boom but i didn't realize in setting it up that way that the way the union works is the last person to get their food is when their 30 minute break starts so if you take an hour and a half to feed people the la- then they start their 30 minute break so it's a two hour break well they explained to me that the mo- a league of their own was costing them fifteen thousand dollars an hour to film so when I was giving them back, well, over an hour a day, uh, then they were saving that $15,000 in production time, which basically meant their lunch was free. So they like that. Yeah, they like that. Now, not every producer appreciates it, but now every every caterer in the business is, is doing the Tomcats way. I feel like I could be Paul Harvey right now and say, and now you know the rest of the story. Uh, I just love that story. It's so good. He put the number three on the side of the truck. Yes. Uh, our next segment is going to be from Miss Sylvia Ganyer, and she is uh, she is the chief farmer over at Green Door Gourmet over in West Nashville. If you haven't checked it out, you should definitely do it. But one of the things that we were we were kind of having a casual conversation, and we talked about farmers markets. And one of the things I was really fascinated by was her explaining exactly what a farmer's market does for a farmer and how we can best support our farmers. This was an incredibly, incredibly eye-opening aspect of this interview. So uh, this interview is from May the 18th, 2020. Enjoy. We did. We wanted to be a central aggregator. And you were talking about the importance of going to farmer's markets. Yes. Farmer's markets are amazing for the consumer and this is this is a different way to to look at this farmers markets came about because farmers needed a place to quote sell their items in a simpler time now every street wants their own farmers market every business 
business wants a farmer to come and set up and create a farmer's market. If all we did was spend our time going to a farmer's market, we'd never have time to farm. (laughs) So more farmer's markets is not necessarily, in my opinion, the modern way to promote agriculture. The best way to promote modern agriculture is to allow the farmers to farm. I know very few farmers, except for me because I'm crazy, uh, that would want to sit there and talk about how to cook a rutabaga and how do you grow it and why it's important to know that this is the heirloom strain of rutabaga that we grow. Um, Most of the farmers are like, I need you to buy your stuff and move on. I got somebody else I, I need to take care of because they're just there to sell their wares and then be able to get back to their farm and farm. It takes approximately 24 hours to get ready and to do a farmer's market. So if you think about the farmer gets up the day before the market, he has all of his regular chores to do, and then he has to go out and harvest for the market. He's going to harvest differently for that farmer's market. It has to be packaged differently, look differently. Um, The size may have to be different than he would if it was a wholesale or a CSA, that sort of thing. Has to get that prepared, ready to go. The next morning, he has to get up at usually 5, 5.30 to load out the truck, make sure everything is iced down, get everything. Can't forget one thing. If you forget the bags, you're in trouble. If you forget the iPad to ring people up, you're in trouble. And then you drive however long it takes you to get to that farmer's market. You take out the tents. You take out the tables. You set everything up. You take out the produce. You see what's been destroyed in transportation. You put it all out. You stand out in freezing cold or extreme heat most of the time. You're going to lose product from doing that. You're going to have people who come by and they're going to go and they oh, uh, could I get this, but could I also get that with it, and I need a bag, and it comes up to 98 cents, and by the time you run the credit card and you've paid a 10-cent transaction fee and given them a 7-cent bag and lost, you know, three things from people rifling through the barrel, you've lost money on the transaction. So farmer's markets are a very difficult thing for the farmers, but they're great for consumers because you get the best of the farm coming to you. Does that make sense? I don't think anything's made more sense. That was incredible um, because, I mean, you go to a bunch of farmers markets. I think the perception is you want to go there to support the farmer, but going to that farmer's farm and purchasing from them there makes a lot more sense to really support the farmer, what you're doing. Or, or having centralized aggregators. And that's what we try to do with the people who have been our, our friends, for forever, you know, Dustin Noble from Noble Springs Goat Cheese, which is so delicious with our strawberries and our baby greens that we grow. Those partners make sense to us. I don't need Dustin to come out here and, and see if he can sell, you know, fifty dollars worth of cheese. I need him, him to be on his farm, milking his goats, feeding those goats, taking care of the new kids that were just born, and. That's where I think our system has to go. I think our downtown farmer's market has made great strides in trying to to make things truly more local, Um, and I commend them for doing that. Tasha's doing a really nice job down there on that. But um, I think having aggregators that you can come to a farm setting makes a lot more sense than a, a tent village on every street all across town to me. I think we need to make sure that we have some centralized places 
that's convenient for people to get to, but we don't need one on every street. How amazing was that? We don't need one on every street. We need farm aggregators to help out the farmers. Farmers need to farm. Farmers don't need you to pick through their bushel and, and give you samples and do the whole thing. I That was so eye-opening for me. Listen to the rest of that interview. Go. That was the most, that's the number three most, no, it's, yes, number three most listened to episode that we have made on Nashville Restaurant Radio was Sylvia Ganyer. That whole episode was just unbelievable. Go back and listen to it from May the 18th. Next interview is with Andy Little, and Andy Little is the executive chef and partner over at Josephine. And we did this interview on April the 21st. And this is the most referenced section of any interview I think that I do in the rest of my interviews when I talk to a chef, because this is him talking about creating game tape and filming his line during a shift to see perspective as well as uh, a way for him to save time and go back and, and watch the film. But it's just so innovative. It's one of those things that um, I was so absolutely blown away by Andy Little and his entire interview, just the way that he approaches things. You can tell that he's a true pro and he's one of the guys in town who's a mentor to so many people and he's just a leader. He's a good guy and um, absolutely respect the living heck out of him. Uh, I hope that you enjoy this clip of him talking about game tape. I love that. I did a podcast yesterday where I said, Stay hungry. Right now in these times, it's okay to, to take some time to do everything to do, but stay hungry. Constantly be looking for the next thing. Don't get satisfied with where you're at. Constantly try to get better. Learn. Take something that you can learn out of everything that you do. And I love that even in that same blog I saw, you posted a video of your line for five minutes on a Wednesday night or something. Yeah. It was just a video of your line. And I love the idea of, hey, football players watch game tape all the time. Why can't I just put a video? This is my line for five minutes. What things can I see there that we could get better at? I just love that mentality that you would do something and put it out there for the public. Yeah, we actually call it game tape. So that's uh, I'm glad that wasn't lost on you. And that, you know, there are times where if you come into the restaurant, you may see me up on a ladder filming. I'm not sure what, you know, what angle that particular video <laughs> was, but I will stand up on a ladder so I can look down and be taking video down on the line as they're working because there are some, you know, it's amazing what happens to life when you change your perspective. And in kitchens, especially, it's the same four walls, it's the same floor equipment but when you stand on top of a piece of equipment and look down or when you get onto a ladder and look across and you see things a little differently you're going to see different things and you're going to see more and you know I started doing that those videos one for my own you know I wanted to look at them just like a coach would look at game tape and say okay well what you know we have an open kitchen what are people seeing if they're coming to the past and then that evolved into what am you know what can I see that I can help each individual because you know, we, we have four people on the front of our line and we have one chef in the back. So you know. So how does that? I just for people that are listening that aren't chefs, 
the kind of our our guests that come in kind of go through a little bit about what each one of these stations does while you're describing this. I'm sorry, go ahead. So so as you look down, the four chefs that are in the front of our line, it starts uh, farthest away from um, where most people would be able to see on the garmage station, which is uh, cold salads, appetizers, half of they share a, a fryer. Um, the next station down is uh, what we consider hot first course. So that is pastas and hot appetizers. Then the next station is the fish and roast station. And the final station is the meat station, which is on a uh, 100% wood-fired grill. The chef in the back is responsible for the cheese and also all of the desserts throughout dinner service and also doing bulk prep, managing stocks, doing a lot of the, the bulk prep during dinner service. So as I'm videoing them, you know, if I can get behind the line and I can work with one chef on a specific technique or something that's going to make them more efficient, I'm only really able to work with 20% of the team at one time. If I can take a video and then go back and watch the video again, there may be uh, something that I find that is uh, applicable to the entire team. And so that's going to make every one of them better. It was just a way for initially for me to be more efficient with my time. And then what it turned into was the chefs themselves actually really enjoyed being able to go back and look at it even to the point we never did this but we had considered installing a gopro and just turning it on every service so that we would have a library of things to go back and look at and then you know the other thing too is when you're dealing with the minutiae of let's try and do this one little thing better and then tomorrow we're going to do another little thing better it's fun to look back at last month's video and say, and look how far I've come. Because the, the reality of all of what we're talking about here is no one who is just going and punching a clock cares about any of this. It is something that you have to be passionate about the progress of your career to care about a crazy chef who's up on a ladder filming. You're going to go through an eight hour day. And then when that eight hour day is over, you're going to take the time to go back and, and watch a video of yourself with other people or a chef who is being very critical of what you're doing. I mean, think about the, the mentality that that requires. That's pretty special stuff. You know, that is That's... top level athlete kind of stuff. Reopening your restaurant comes with great responsibility. Are you doing everything you can to keep your staff and guests safe? With Trust20 certification, you and your guests can feel confident you're doing everything you can to keep everyone safe. Trust20 is home to the new standard of restaurant safety and consumer comfort. By becoming a Trust20 certified restaurant, diners will know the practices you follow to create a safe and healthy environment. Have confidence you're going above and beyond minimal requirements. Have comfort knowing your practices have been independently verified. To learn more, visit trust20.co. That's trust, the number 20.co. Trust 20 restaurants have access to a suite of resources that include expert-led training in four key areas, individual consultants, communication material, and signage. When you visit trust20.co and tell them you heard about them on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Trust 20, partnering with you to keep everyone safe.
And that, my friends, is next level passion. That is the kind of thing that I am drawn to. That is the kind of thing that I wanted to start this podcast for was to get people talking like that. I wanted everybody out there to know that there are chefs that do game tape and like, damn, I don't know. I just blown away. I love the passion. I love everything he's doing. And if you are out there and you have not eaten at Josephine, you should go do that. He's got these cheesesteaks right now that are just off the chart. Our next and final segment of the day is from Chef Alex Ballou, the owner and chef of Dallas and Jane in Murfreesboro. This was such a cool episode for me because I'd met Alex a long time ago, but I never really got to know him really well until we did this interview. And since then, we talk on the phone on a pretty regular basis. Uh, We follow each other's Apple Watches for our activity rings. And uh, we just did a chef collaboration dinner this past Sunday night together. And... It was really neat. Like he's just a great, great guy, and uh, couldn't be more excited to have that From connection April 8th, through this podcast during a pandemic, which is just crazy. So in this episode, in this segment, he talks about he he did a Facebook post where he got really vulnerable, and he talked about what was going on with his restaurant and what was going to happen. Uh, if he didn't have more guests come in. And it was just a really powerful moment for me because it wasn't COVID. This was pre-COVID. And it just outlines that local businesses need our help, not just during a pandemic or during COVID, but all the time. And it's not just restaurants. It's all local businesses. People that take the risk and put up shop to open a local business in your backyard, if you have a choice, make sure that you are choosing them on a regular basis so we can support these people who are um, who are making our communities better on a regular basis. So enjoy this final segment with my friend Alex Ballou. You put a video out on Facebook a couple months ago, and you basically said, "Hey, this is hard. We need your help." Tell me, about, tell me about that video. You know, from August of last year until January of this year, our sales, for some reason, and I don't know why, just they just tanked and they dropped by 40% out of nowhere for no reason. I mean, we are the number one, you know, as, as much as you can take Yelp, uh, we are the number one rated rated restaurant on Yelp in Rutherford County. We won best restaurant in Rutherford County by the, uh, the local awards. We got nominated um, eater called us the number one restaurant in Murfreesboro We've got great reviews, five stars on Resi, all across the board, and it just just vanished. Sales just gone, flatlined. Hmm. We would be it'd be six forty five on a Thursday night, and there'd be no tables in the restaurant. I mean, we went from doing eighty thousand dollars a month in sales to thirty five. Wow, forty. We would have nights where we were doing seven hundred, eight hundred dollars in sales, and. I was throwing every idea I could at the wall to make something happen. We, we have happy hour every night. We have free house-made snacks at the bar. We, do, we were doing a date night special two nights a week where you got any two entrees and two glasses of wine for $50. I mean, that's super cheap. We were doing kids' meals. We, were doing, we, tried, to, we tried to change our menu to make it a little bit more accessible. We changed the wording of things. We added a pizza. We, we did all these things. And our social media following is great. We have about 15,000 people that follow us on Facebook. I think we have like eight, 
9,000 likes and 8,000 followers. Our Instagram gets pretty good traction, but none of that social media traction actually turned into people in the seats. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the perception was that we were doing great, that we were killing it, and people thought we were killing it. But we weren't. I mean, we were, we were drowning. I, we had to refinance our house. I had to sell my car. I mean, we've done all that we could to make it work. And the question I asked myself was, how long do you work 100 hours a week without paying yourself to make something work? And I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, we went, we went through Christmas and sales were down. And we opened, we opened back after a little four-day break with our winter menu in January. And I posted the picture of the winter menu and it went, it got like 150 shares and a bunch of likes and a bunch of comments. And everybody was like, oh my God, that looks so great. Can't wait to try it. So the Tuesday we opened, we had 18 people come eat here. Wow. And then the Wednesday we opened, we had 16 people come eat here. And then Thursday we opened and we had 17 people eat here. And after 645, there wasn't a guest in the building. And I was sitting at one of our tables looking in this empty dining room. Servers had been cut. Kitchen staff had been cut. And about five minutes later, my CPA emailed me five emails back to back to back to back to back. Sales and use tax for December is due. Liquor by the drink tax is due. Business tax is due. And then payroll tax is due. And then payroll is coming out tomorrow. And I added it all up and it was about $27,000. And we had $32,000 in the bank. And I, I was, I just broke, I broke. I didn't know what to do. And I had seen all this hard work and I, you know, my dream and, and my family and my staff, you know, I've got 20 people that work here that I'm worried about. How are they going to make their money? How are they going to get paid? They've got kids, they've got families. And I just kind of snapped and I decided to post a video where I was very honest about what we were going through and our hardships. And I said, basically, unless something drastic changes, we're going to have to close by the end of February because we don't have the funds to keep going. So, I mean, you put that video out there and that's, that's just a, I mean, I don't know if you can get more of a stark reality, you know I mean? I think people hear about restaurants opening to much fanfare and they're all excited and they like to like pictures, like you said, but just what you just mentioned was so raw and real. And I don't think, people recognize like how much just them coming out to eat dinner, just a date night, how much that means to the local independent restaurateur Um, spending time eating from eating food from you that comes from local farms. And like I said, is unbelievable. It's better for you, but then you drive by like a longhorn steakhouse and it's packed killing it. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, that that's a, they're on a two-hour wait on a Wednesday at six forty-five, and you're like, "My food is amazing." I'm like two minutes down the street. Come on, yeah. And I, you know, we've heard the location argument before, and I get that. Um, I didn't think it would matter as much as it has because of the type of food that we were offering, but apparently it did. And um, but I posted that video to our Facebook page, not expecting. I was just trying to reach our followers, the people that support us and follow us. I was just trying to let them know because I would, I I dare say a hundred percent of the time restaurants close. They do not let you know they're closing. They just shut their doors. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
your employees show up for work and the door has a padlock on it because there's a number of things that go wrong when you tell people that you're closing staff start stealing they start quitting because they know that the, the end is near so they start trying to protect themselves which is completely normal but restaurants sure. by and large they don't let people know when they're closing they just shut their doors and i we have relationships with the people that eat here and i didn't want to just shut the doors on them i wanted them, i wanted to let them know this is what might be happening and what happened after that was just insane i mean the that video reached 76,000 people. Wow. And it went, it went crazy. It was shared over a thousand times. Um, it was written about in the local paper. It, it was, it was being shared by people in Las Vegas. There was a gym in North Carolina that shared it. And for, for business, I think I spoke for most all small business owners and there was definitely some hate. I got some people that were calling me whining and, you know, saying I was pandering to Facebook and that I was, you know, blah, blah, whatever they were saying. It's fine. You know, I, this is my, my dream, my business, and I'm going to go down swinging for it. It's what I believe in. So I'm going to go down fighting. And that's exactly what I did. I could not have been prepared for what happened that weekend. We had 35 reservations for that entire weekend. And that's the number of guests we had booked for Friday and Saturday. Friday night, we did 165 people. I mean, we were running and we're a 50 seat restaurant. So that's three solid turns here. And we ran out of food. And the next day prep was insane because we pretty much had to prep the entire menu. It was wild. Wow. That's, that's, that's amazing. What a, what a way for the community to kind of just show up. And what did that do? How did that make you feel inside? Because when you pour your heart out like that and you're that vulnerable, when you just, when you put out there what you're feeling, what's on your heart, and you know the very real reality is you go into that weekend and 35 people show up and you got to just go, okay, um, I guess they didn't listen. But when it gets that many shares and that many people watch it and then you have that kind of a response, what does that do for you? What does that do when you go home? Do you just like break down? I mean, I was just in awe of what happened. I could not, I just could not believe what I was seeing. I mean, I was standing in the dining room taking pictures of the dining room. There were so, everybody, there were so many people in here. I mean, it was standing room only. People were outside waiting to get in. It was a, it was a surreal experience. That Those are the moments that you, that you love. It's, I, it wasn't about the sales of the night. It was about, there were, there were 55 people in here eating at the same time. Nobody was on their phones. There was laughter and it was, it was just a great moment. It was great. All right, there we go. Best of volume two. Thank you for listening. And we will be back next week with all new interviews. Uh, I will do one more of these best of episodes before then, uh, probably on Thursday it will come out and we will announce who we'll be interviewing next week. Remember, we have an all-new live episode of The Roundup. It'll be this Thursday at 3.30 on Facebook and every three, every Thursday, 3.30 on Facebook and YouTube. You can listen to it live. And, of course, it'll be out for your drive into work Friday and all weekend long Friday morning on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Thank you guys for listening. And, as always, we hope that you are staying safe out there. Love you guys.
Bye.